What's up, guys? Welcome to the Establish the Edge podcast. I'm your host, Pat Corain, and with me is my co-host, Mike Leone of EstablishTheRun.com. Mike, how's it going? It's going pretty good, as I was telling you before the show. It's been a whirlwind last couple of weeks getting everything ready on ETR for the season, but pretty much there. Got a full slate of games on Sunday, so I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited too, and I mean, we just had football last night, and it was actually a pretty good game from a fantasy perspective, at least, so uh if it feels we're we're in it man the season has started it was good from a fantasy perspective from a real life perspective uh and a showdown perspective i was heavily tilting bill o'brien as i do basically every time the texans have a primetime game and i i I don't i i just have no words for whatever their game plan was and how slow they were to try and play catch up against the best offense in you know maybe the history (laughs) yeah it seemed pretty clear you know they were going to try to play the ball control game which worked for them last year in the regular season and then they kept playing the ball control game when they were down which was a bit of a surprising move especially given how their season ended last year right you would think they would know better playing against Mahomes but uh, there were as you said it was a pretty good fantasy game it's always interesting in these high stakes not even necessarily high stakes. I just refer to NFFC and FFPC as high stakes, but all their major contests, whether it's is the high stakes main events or more the mid stakes wrote a wire online championship or football guys championship. They let you set the lineup Sunday with the Thursday night players already knowing what they've done. So they haven't locked. And the reason for that is they still have drafts ongoing up through Sunday. So it's always interesting to see, how those performances change ADPs and you know what scores you may or may not want to lock into your lineup come setting that lineup on Sunday. Yeah, if you draft late, you don't get an advantage in terms of setting your lineup because people who drafted before the Thursday game can decide until after the game whether they want to put those scores in their lineup. And there's actually some interesting things you could do if you draft late, um, like you can stash so in one of the the leagues where we have Deshaun Watson, we picked up Tyrod Taylor for a dollar in case Watson fell flat on his face. Then we'd have another option at quarterback. So there's things you can do like that. Um, having drafted early, they give you a, a little bit of an advantage. But the most interesting twist this uh, creates is that if you're drafting after the Thursday night game, you know uh, what the player scored. And when you draft those guys, you can slot them right into your lineup. So you're literally drafting points that changes the ADP on these Friday and Saturday drafts sometimes pretty significantly from what it was just, you know, the day or two before. So I think this is the type of game where we will see some big shifts in ADP last year was kind of a stinker of a game and we didn't see too much uh, get, get shifted around. But this year, I think we will Um, Edward Talaire, obviously with the big game, David Johnson with the big game, Will Fuller with a big game, so and then some some no shows, especially from Nicole Hardman, uh, and I think you'll see some some adjustment to Sammy Watkins ADP. So you have some notes here on uh, on what we've seen on just a couple main events so far. Yeah, I actually I forgot in the notes put David Johnson, but he went round two. So there were two FFPC main event drafts that kicked off at eleven thirty Eastern time last night. So after the game had concluded, and David Johnson goes in the second round in both of those games and. 
He's someone that I was on a lot in round four slash five. I felt a little bit like a donkey because I know a lot of sharp people were like, just just don't draft running backs in that mold. But I don't know. I, I, I just felt like rightly or wrongly, when you've got a coach like Bill O'Brien who trades DeAndre Hopkins for you, you're probably going to have a pretty substantial role. Carlos Hyde with no pass catching was somewhat fantasy viable there. And you're just playing with Deshaun Watson in an offense that's going to be decent. If you just if you assume DJ wasn't dust, which I mean, a lot of people thought he might be based on the back injury last year and the egregious second half that he had. So, but like round two, I mean, you're not you should not be taking him in round two now. <laughs> I no, think agreed. Last night was more confirmation bias that yeah, that was the right guy to take in round four. You know, th- there was upside there, but I don't think I would even move him up. I'd feel better about taking him in round four, but. You know, round two is a huge overreaction. Yeah, I think you feel pretty good about um, your your David Johnson shares right now. Uh, you know, getting him in round four, seeing some really nice usage. Um, he looks spry. He also uh, is going to be maybe even in a better position going forward with Duke Johnson banged up. We'll have to see how that uh, pans out. But, you know, yeah. Johnson was out for a fair amount of the game with, I think, like a quad issue. So, that could end up being uh, something that makes Johnson uh, a pretty big workhorse. Uh, I that, That's a good point. I didn't mean to cut you off, but if Duke is out, I mean, they didn't play their third string running back at all after yeah. Duke went out. It was every snap was David Johnson. Yeah, that's definitely very bullish. I guess I'm a little, I, I don't want to take too, get too high on him after this, just given that, their game plan did seem to be strange and very kind of focused on, you know, playing slow, running the ball. I wonder if in other games that we might see them be a little bit more pass heavy. Um, but if they decided to kind of shift their offense to be a bit more focused on the run, um, then yeah, Johnson is looking like someone that could could end up being a pretty big value if he is in fact, you know, this fresh going forward. It's also interesting to see, and I, I didn't see the exact target breakdown, but you know, even when we're working on projections for week one, you know, how many running back targets do you allocate for the Texans? Because historically, Watson has a really low target share to running backs, but obviously there's a big difference between Carlos Hyde and David Johnson. So do you up that running back target share because David Johnson's in there? Or do you assume like within the system that it's still going to be the same because it's been like 15, 15, 17% to running backs the last three years with Watson, which is really low. So I do want to see what the total running back target share was last night. But yeah, the the pass run rates in that game killed me from a showdown perspective because I played a pretty pass-heavy script and both teams, uh, including you know Kansas City with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire with really interesting usage for him. I wonder if just early in the year, he's not totally ready to play the passing down roles. You know, As good as he looked, it was a surprise to not see him get more work in the passing game. Just one game. And it was a weird script again on both sides with the pass run rates, but he went first overall and fourth overall. I still think he's more, you know, he's outside of the top four running backs for me. You know, I still think I would take McCaffrey, Barkley, Zeke and Kamara ahead of him. Uh, how, How do you feel about that, Pat? I think it's close. I think I would definitely take him. I, I would definitely still take CMC and Barkley over him. 
But well, I think when once you get to Zeke, it's he's sort of in the mix because uh, you don't have. I mean, he's getting. Uh, I just think the rushing workload is something I didn't expect. He got six carries inside the five. Uh, obviously, he did not convert on any of those, but um, just the fact that he got them is very bullish. And it's not like Daryl Williams was getting a bunch of passes instead of Edwards Hilaire. It's just they didn't really throw the running back that much in this game. Daryl was coming in on third downs a lot, which was strange to me. But for, I, you, for you're right. Blocking, right. Yeah, he caught a couple of dump offs early, but then, okay. it, as you said, they didn't really throw to the running backs a lot and they just didn't throw a lot in this game period. I, I am going to backtrack a little bit because you're right. The rushing split, my concern with Edwards Hilaire, I, I mean, he had a super high floor almost no matter what his workload was going to be coming into the year. But my concern was, and we saw this last year with Casey, during the regular season, they seemed like they really wanted to keep the backs fresh and split them and rotate them. And some of that was injury related with Damian. But, you know, we saw McCoy inactive some games, take a larger role some games. And I, I just thought in the regular season, they might do that again. But if you come out and you give Clyde Edwards-Hilaire 25-plus carries, then you layer in that we know eventually he's going to get work in the passing game. It's going to happen. I I think you're right. I do think he's probably uh, in there after McCaffrey, uh, after thinking about it again. So uh, the the other big performance that swung things a lot was Sammy Watkins versus McCole Hardman. And McCole Hardman... In the two drafts last night went rounds 12 and 13. Sammy Watkins went round seven and nine. That's somewhat a flip of what where the ADPs were. They, they might not have been that big of a gap, but I did see a lot of drafts where Hardman went seven and Sammy went 12, 13. And I struggled with this one a lot all offseason. You know, the straight math was telling me. Sammy's a huge value. McColl's a bust, but you also want to take into account this is one game, and if you're thinking for the whole season, and who might carry you the latter half of the season and win you a championship, which could still happen. You know, there's still equity in McColl Hardman passing someone due to injury, or this role that seems to be split between McColl Hardman and Demarcus Robinson maybe just goes to Hardman. So uh, that that was an interesting one to see. I, I kind of feel like. I should have trusted the math a little bit more and slammed a lot of Sammy once we hit the double digit rounds. I I don't know how I feel about around seven and nine, but again, I mean, it's the number two wide receiver who is still pretty young and has some pretty big seasons in his resume playing with Patrick Mahomes. So how do you feel about the Sammy ADP shift? Yeah. I'm mad at myself for not getting more Sammy in best ball just because it's, the the thing with Sammy Watkins is that I don't want the headache of of having to know when to start him, and I, for that reason, I would not be taking him in rounds seven through nine uh, in the main event. I also think you know he's now in that spot where typically with the builds that I'm uh, that I'm doing, I'm not usually looking to take a wide receiver in that range anyway, and if I do, it's Unless it's Rager. Right. If I do, it's someone I'm really excited about and I think could end up breaking out as an every week start for me. Where I think Watkins, like we saw this at the beginning of last season, he had that monster start, even bigger than this, and then he completely cooled off. You just, I mean, Mahomes after the game was going, you know, the thing he loves most about this offense is you never know it's who it's going to be. And it's it's very true. You don't know outside of, the big guys, you know, it's going to be Kelsey, 
You know, it's going to be Hill. And it looks like we can count on Edwards Hilaire. But um, you're not, I don't think, going to be able to start Watkins with confidence. And it's not like he's going to emerge as the number one or even number two option in this passing game. So I, I think he's fool's gold in that range. Um, I do think that applying a bigger discount to Hardman makes sense. I mean, not only is he running behind Watkins, but he is behind Robinson. And hopefully that changes soon because Robinson really fell on his face in this game. He was pretty awful. Um, but Hardman was not great either. Um, Hardman only ran 11 routes in this game. Uh, Robinson ran 17. Hardman had six yards on those 11 routes. So not ideal uh, for a guy that you know we're pretty excited about from his skill set, his speed. He's like a, a bit of a Tyreek Hill clone as a player, but uh, has a long way to go in terms of getting that role in the offense. Yeah, and I agree with you on Sammy. I think it more solidifies when I was waffling in rounds 10 and 11 and he was the top of my board, you know, I, I probably should have been clicking Sammy yeah. it more solidifies that, you know, that's the right choice. Similar to David Johnson, where uh, when he was top of my board in round four and I waffled sometimes, you know, it solidifies he's the right choice more so than it does. It means I should be moving him up a ton. I guess with DJ, as we mentioned, you know, there is some additional upside there if duke is going to miss some games early the workload just could be incredible for the start of the season as far as the houston passing game goes there wasn't a whole lot there you know akins had the touchdown late i think the best thing from the houston passing game is just will fuller someone that we've all been high on at etr you've been high on pat he's going to be a monster it looks like yeah will fuller is going to smash i mean 11 targets in this game uh, we don't have the air yards yet, but we're all kind of waiting with bated breath for the air <laughs> yards to come in because he's got to have just this insane air yards market share. I mean, his his whopper this week is going to be awesome. And, you know, at first it looked like he was going to be crushing the buy low model. And then he actually started converting a little bit and, you know, had the, the 112 yards. Uh, he had a 3.5 yards per route run, which is elite. So, I mean... Just an awesome game from Will Fuller and operating as the clear alpha in this offense. So, you know, he's a guy where I was thinking like where he should go. And I guess for me, it's like if I was doing a main event draft, I would assume I could still get him in that like fourth round range. But I want but I guess I'd I'd be interested in taking him even in into like the kind of early to mid fourth. I feel like he would be worth the selection there but I would assume I might be able to even still sneak him into like the late fourth, maybe even 501, 502 range. Where did he go in those early mains? He went mid five in both. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's an awesome value. Yeah. The four or five turn. And that's someone that I, I felt like a couple things went right for me projections wise early, you know, with Sammy and DJ doing well. One thing that I, I tried to boost fuller a lot, given a lot of the hype around him. And I, I probably didn't get enough full. I was more waiting on him for round six. And, you know, the, the target share there is very clearly more a mid-20s target share than it is a low-20s target share, which is a pretty meaningful difference, you know, as you do projection work. And it looks like the potential maybe even be upper 20s uh, in terms of target share. So uh, you, you switch from you know, assuming a, a 22% target share to a 26% target share for someone 
with Fuller's history of efficiency and Watson's history of efficiency. That's a huge difference and a really good sign a dot. for Will Fuller. What was great was he was doing everything, right? We, like yeah. he, he still had a, a high A dot, but we saw him make some tough contested catches, uh, you know, on an out route, on some slant routes. And then, of course, he came down with the one, finally connected on one deeper ball late in the game, right before um, the Watson rushing touchdown. So, yeah, it seems like wheels up everything you hope for Will Fuller, you basically saw in this game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the other concern with him has been injury. And, but I think there's sort of, if you're drafting a lot of Will Fuller and, you know, certainly at ETR, we were doing that. Um, it was sort of two things that were, the, the, the thesis was sort of a two-part thesis. One was that, you know, he's not entering the season injured. He has been banged up, but we're not going to just assume he's going to get banged up again this year because he's been banged up in the past, entering a year completely healthy. And then, and if he doesn't, there's a lot of upside. And then two, that with Hopkins gone, there's upside for him to be the clear alpha in this offense and that it may not be, just be kind of split around between Stills and Cooks and him. And the first part of that is what, or sorry, the second part about the market share is really looking incredibly strong right now. I mean, there was some downside here that maybe it was just kind of a wide receiver by committee situation and the the market shares are all split out, but that does not appear to be the case. I mean, Fuller... Was operating. I think. I think he had a thirty-two percent market share uh, last night. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, whatever it is, I think. It, like, if I'm setting projections moving forward, I think I had him around twenty-two percent going into this game. Again, with just concerns that it was going to be spread out, like you said. Like that was the downside. And yeah. uh, you know, I, I'm definitely setting it at at least twenty-five percent. I think going forward, and, and I know that might sound like a like not a huge difference, but it really is a big difference. You know, I mean, in terms of the amount of targets, that's that's an extra target or two a game. You know, the, that two and a half percent is probably a full target per game, which again doesn't sound like a lot, but when you think of all the efficiency that goes into Will Fuller and Deshaun Watson, it's a pretty big deal, and it also means the ceiling's higher too. In terms of, I'm jumping up to twenty five percent, as you said, it was it was in the thirties for game one, so it could even be. We're probably not going to see it there, but we could see it around 28%. And then you're talking two extra targets per game, which is massive. Yeah. Yeah. Exciting stuff. So, uh, and Adam was saying, you know, he had been happy with Will Fuller just coming out of the game healthy. So we (laughs) we got that and then we got a good game on top. So very nice start for Will Fuller. Um, And yeah, I think maybe he's the guy that, looks like the biggest value right now compared to, because oftentimes there can be some overreaction to um, the week one performance or the Thursday night performance in these FFPC main event ADPs. But yeah, I mean, I think what we saw from Fuller, it's not just about the production, it's about the market share and his role in the offense looking very strong. So if anything, I think if you can get him in the mid fifth, uh, early fifth, even late fourth, I think that's, still very you're still getting a lot of upside on fuller there i mean As, he could definitely return like the value similar value to the guys that are going in the early second still yeah absolutely as far as start sit stuff i feel like most of the performances were pretty obvious you know as you said it ended up being a pretty good fantasy game for everyone i guess tyreek hill 
you're probably using the Tyreek Hill game five for 46 and a touchdown. You're probably still using that uh, because of the touchdown in there. In general, you know, Ben Gretsch had a good thread the other day about how sometimes in weekly scoring, we worry too much about the floor. You know, when the difference between a guy scoring five points and 10 points doesn't really make or break your week. It's the potential for a guy to score 20. That's going to make or break your week. So I would keep that in mind with start sit decisions, but I don't really see too much of that here. It's pretty much you're playing all the guys who did well, and it's very clear who did well and who didn't do well. Right. Right. The mentor's not hitting your lineups. We know that. No. <laughs> I do think the mentor, uh, Daryl Williams, I, I would imagine that, you know, in shallow leagues, he looks like a drop. I think in the deeper main event style leagues where you got the 20 roster spots, I mean, the, the one bullish thing is that there was really no running back three. Darwin Thompson didn't really, I don't even know if he saw the field. So you've got, at least a lot of contingent value with Daryl Williams there. Um, they need him to continue mentoring Edwards Lair as he uh, continues, you know, getting better on the goal line and, and becomes the workhorse Dar- uh, that he looks like he's going to be soon. Darwin played zero offensive snaps. Yeah. So ton of contingent value then for Williams. Um, someone I think you need to hold still as like the last guy on your roster and in the main event. Uh, cause you know, if Edwards Lair were to go down, then it's, it's, it's pretty bullish for Williams with Thompson, not really having a role last night. Yeah. And as I said, he did play some passing downs early. And even though the huge rush split was, you know, a huge win for CEH, I still wouldn't expect it to be quite so wide moving forward. You know, I think we might see some goal line work from Daryl. So you, you, there, there are outs there if you get desperate on a week. You know, there's worse things you can do than play the KC RB two if you've got a zero RB build and you just need to survive for some where weeks. Did, where did he go in the the main events you're looking at? He went about the same. I think it was rounds twelve to thirteen, which sounds okay. about right to me. You know, that's when you're hitting your zero RB stashes. He went round eleven in one, and he went round uh, twelve in the other, which. It, you know, it seems about right given those guys that are going there. I would actually, I would pass on him there because I, I want guys who have some standalone value. And last night certainly made his standalone value look lower than we had hoped. But yeah, I don't want to overreact too much, but maybe 13, 14. Yeah. There's just, there's not a lot of standalone value in that range uh, anymore. Yeah. Um, I guess, you know, Duke Johnson, depending on his injury. You know, he fell to 12, 13, and he has some standalone value if he's healthy. But, you know, other guys going in that round, you know, like Keyshawn Vaughn, Benny Snell, Damian Harris, you know, those are guys that aren't really giving you much to, out of the gate. So I, I think he's okay in 11, 12. Yeah. You forget with FFPC, I mean, by the time you get here, the, the running back ADP is, is pretty damn efficient. Um, and people in FFPC generally like to play running backs in their flex. So, you get just people who took running backs early or also taking running backs late. <laughs> There's just, they're yeah. just always taking running backs. So you, it can be difficult to, um, to get like strong running back value later on. So we saw Travis Kelsey have a you know great opening night and that segues nicely into talking about your tight end series that you did on establish the run. And I think it's important to look at that because I, I know for me as a player, especially in dynasty leagues and, and redraft 
leagues where there's trading available, I sort of want to know what I should be looking for early in the season. And it is important to have the right priors on guys because if a guy you're, you know, on pops the first couple of games, you know, you might jump on him a little bit quicker than someone that the priors are a little bit shakier on. So when I say priors, I mean, kind of just our evaluation of that player heading into the season, what we think the chances of a breakout are, are we on him? Are we off of him? And you had a really extensive series looking at tight end breakout profiles, you know, what goes into a breakout tight end, what we're looking at the year before, what we're targeting. And you also looked at fades and plays at various ADP price points. So I guess if you just want to give the high level overview of what you're looking at as far as tight end breakouts. Yeah. So tight end is a really interesting position just overall and for fantasy because uh, it's a position where like not every person on the field is necessarily like playing the same position. Um, and, you know, cause it can kind of be a glorified offensive lineman, but then there's a few players in the NFL that end up being, like almost wide receivers who can also block like an offensive lineman. And those guys are very rare. Travis Kelsey being one of those guys um, when he runs routes, I mean, he's a, a true weapon out there, but there's not a ton of those types of players in the NFL. So we're trying to figure out in a way where we're not really trying to do at wide receiver. Like, is this guy even on the field to catch passes? If a wide receiver is out there, he's running routes. Like, presumably he he is out there to catch passes that's like the only reason he would be out there unless like maybe Heinz Ward had some blocking equity but you know for the most part that's not really a thing and uh with tight end we want to see that the guys are running routes that's important that that gives us uh an indication that they're there to catch passes more so than than some other tight ends if they're running that many routes but also we want to see that they're being targeted on the routes at a fairly high level um, that has been, as I looked back at these tight ends that produce elite seasons, um, that's been a big indicator of, of what percentage they're getting targeted on their route to so target per route run. And then you also want to see that guys are efficient uh, in terms of their yards per target um, in the previous season uh, so that they're basically showing their team. Yeah, I'm good at this. Yards per target is not a sticky stat. It's not something we want to look at to try to predict itself. Uh, it's it's a super noisy stat, but I think it can actually be helpful to look at at when we're looking at tight ends because these guys are really trying to make a case that they really belong in the passing game in the first place. And so if you have a guy who's really efficient in yards per target, it may not show that he's going to be super efficient the next year in yards per target. You know, you can have a guy uh, like Noah Fant who had a yards per target o- over 11. That's not going to happen again. But it's showing the team, okay, maybe we need to involve this second-year player more going forward. Yeah. That- I'm- oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I'm glad you touched on that because that, that was one of the things I was going to ask you about because Josh Hermsmeyer did an article specific to receivers, not tight ends, but I think the carryover would be a lot. And he looked at the stability of metrics year over year. And one of the highest ones was targets per game, which you know you can get to with your targets per route run that you use for tight ends. But one of the least sticky was yards per target. So I did kind of wanted to hear your explanation for why you use that. You know, One of my 
one of the things I was surmising was to, you know, we're not exactly looking for a median projection here. We're not saying his yards per target are going to be the same next year. We're looking for signifiers of a breakout. So the way you approach it might be a little bit different. Um, and I did want to know, but along those lines, you know, he's big on average depth of target because that is sticky year to year. And that does have a higher correlation to yards per target. So I was wondering if you think about ADOT a little bit, and that brings me to, I'm probably jumping the gun here, getting into specifics, but a guy like Mike Jasicki, who has a really high ADOT, but was very inefficient last year, ran a lot of routes, but was not targeted heavily per routes. And I know this is a guy that seems to be a lot of divisiveness around as to you know, some people think he's an awesome breakout candidate. And some people, uh, I know you're more on the fade side of Jasicki. So I was just kind of wondering how you handle a guy like Jasicki who has some, I don't know, conflicting signals. And also if you consider the average depth of target at all. Yeah. Uh, it, just in on the, the efficiency, I created some different thresholds for different player profiles. So like if guys had a bunch of stud uh, tight end seasons where he's, he's coming off like an elite season, then the yards per target was sort of a, a very clearable threshold there. So you're kind of looking to make sure a guy isn't like falling off to where the team's like maybe looking at moving into some other options. But if a guy is, is not coming off an elite uh, fantasy season, then we're looking for a bit higher efficiency because the guy is sort of making a case to the team to play him more. So, And the other thing I would say is that this series of articles was trying to predict elite seasons, um, and I think this also is, factors into my fate of Gesicki. But when we're looking for elite seasons, you know, you're you're swinging a little bit bigger so you i think that's another reason to factor in efficiency a bit because you're looking for guys who have these high-end ceilings so going yeah. gasicki i mean he's a guy that ran a ton of routes last year and i think will probably run a ton of routes again this year so right there it's like well if a guy's running that many routes he can't really fail that hard because he's going to be involved and there's not that many tight ends that are really all that involved so you know, just those two things, you're like, all right, well, if he's got a high floor because he's running a bunch of routes, then he can't be that bad of a pick. The thing with with him this year, though, was that he was pretty expensive, particularly in tight end premium format. You really had to pay a, a pretty high opportunity cost to get him on your team. And the thing is that target per route run is actually pretty sticky. So if you're betting on him to be an elite tight end, then I think you probably need the Dolphins to just throw for an absurd number of attempts because the guys that he profiles similar similarly to in the past are Austin Hooper and Kobe Fleener would be the two like elite tight end seasons that we've seen from guys who just ran a bunch of routes but weren't targeted on a high percentage of those routes. Then the following season, basically the same thing happened. They ran a ton of routes still weren't targeted on a very high percentage of the routes, but their team threw even more. And, you know, in fact, they threw for the most uh, attempts in the entire league. That Kobe Fleener elite season came with the Colts when they led the, the entire NFL in passing attempts. And Austin Hooper last year was on a team that uh, led the in, entire league in passing attempts with the Falcons. So 
I don't think the Dolphins are going to lead the league in passing attempts, and I bet I'm just betting that we're not going to see a huge change in his uh, targets uh, per route run. I guess the the A dot's interesting. The thing that that's tough about that is that he's. I mean, if you're going to get targeted on a low percentage of routes, you do want a high A dot. Um, but he wasn't actually he wasn't efficient in his yard no. either. So so it's kind of two red flags there. Yeah, his catch rate was pretty poor. Uh, I did. I've got a few things because a lot of what you said just makes my mind race, and I think it's really interesting. Uh, one thing in looking in terms of routes run per game and targets per route run, I was looking at this prepping for this podcast. I was kind of stunned. The correlation between targets per route run and routes run per game is really low, <laughs> which which is surprising, right? You would think the guys that are running the most routes are getting the most targets. And that's not necessarily the case. Um, so I, I thought that was kind of interesting and, and perhaps a kind of flag for Jasicki that just because he's running a lot of routes doesn't mean he's going to see more targets. Um, and that kind of goes back to what you just said. And as a result, my biggest takeaway from your article is guys that are targeted heavily per route run have some decent baseline of efficiency, they can explode if they run more routes. Like that's more likely to happen. We're more likely to see a breakout like that. And a guy like Mark Andrews, who we love, I think you and I both have tons of shares of Mark Andrews. And um, I think that, you know, that that's the concept behind him was he actually didn't play a ton of snaps. You know, he didn't run a whole lot of routes. If I'm looking at guys with a minimum of 25 targets, last season at the tight end position there were 46 of him he's below the average in routes per game you know only 19.7 routes per game but he led all tight ends in targets per route run and if we're saying targets per route run is the, actually the sticky metric well this is a guy who's going to run a lot more routes this year with Hayden Hurst gone not only is Hayden Hurst gone but the way they tried to replace him I think they only kept two tight ends on the depth chart, which I was stunned by when I was showing up depth charts this week. You know, that that signifies to me that this Mark Andrews role is going to be massive. So, you know, and then again, that goes back to why targets per route run and efficiency are so important because where the upside comes in is all of a sudden a guy uh, runs a lot more routes and then the targets follow instead of, oh, he already runs a lot of routes. What if he gets targeted more heavily? Like that seems to happen less often um for a breakout season to occur yeah i think what the the idea here the theory is that running a route is really opportunity getting a target is to some degree a skill and so you're it's like it's obviously still partly an opportunity like if you're if there's a play design that you know you're the first read on that play that's sort of an opportunity, but being able to get open, being able to earn your coach's trust, being able to earn your quarterback's trust, that is a skill. So targets per route run is kind of this interesting metric. It's like an opportunity metric to a degree, but I do think there's actually, it's an efficiency metric to a degree. And it's maybe one of the better things that we can look at in terms of efficiency, because I it has some stickiness to it. Maybe it's the opportunity that's driving the stickiness, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think what I'm betting on with saying, Hey, let's, let's not target 
Gasicki this year because I don't think he has a ceiling, and let's instead target Mark Andrews because he had a really high targets per route run and now looks to run more routes, is we're betting on targets, earning targets being a skill. And that's where Austin Hooper, someone I drafted a decent bit of, and now I'm kind of like, eh, I, I don't know if that was so great, comes in where uh, he ran a ton of routes. I think he was tied for the league lead in routes run per game for an offense in Atlanta that threw a ton yep. and had a pretty, you know, even though they had Julio and Ridley, it was it was pretty condensed on to, to three guys there. You know, his targets per outrun was just middle of the pack. And some of the other metrics you want to look at, uh, I, I created a metric that's a combination of average depth of target and yards after catch. And the idea of combining them into a single metric is players that have a high average depth of target generally have a lower yards after the catch just because of ADOT. And, and vice versa, guys who lower ADOTs have higher yards after the catch. So um, use some machine learning to create one metric that sort of accounts for that. So you get sort of, a skill ranking. And that's something that Jasicki actually did rate well in. So I think there's, there, there's some hope for him, but you know, Austin Hooper didn't rate well on that metric. Um, the, he didn't rate well in average depth of target just by itself either. Basically he just ran a ton of routes and had a really high catch rate. And you know, you're playing in a dome with Matt Ryan, you're, you're going to have a pretty good catch rate. So uh, now you go and you've got Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, a team that's not going to throw the ball as often. A quarterback who we like, but you know he's not at a Matt Ryan level completion percentage yet. So uh, I'm starting to get cold feet on Austin Hooper uh, for a variety of those reasons. I just want to add one thing on Hooper, which is because I thought this was really interesting. He saw a lower uh, target per route run after Mohamed Sanu was traded. So the passing game becomes more condensed and then Hooper seeing less targets on his routes. That to me is like, it's pretty interesting because what, what happened was Calvin Ridley stepped up. And so now you have a more talented player at wide receiver getting more, getting more opportunity. And Ridley took advantage of that opportunity and at the expense of Hooper's targets. So I think that, uh, I'm a little bit – I wasn't on Hooper, and I, I think I'm nervous about him You know, going to a new team in Cleveland with Odell Beckham and Landry both there. It's actually similar – it's a more similar situation to the second half of last year when you have Ridley and Julio getting a lot of mm-hmm. opportunity uh, than it is to the first half where you had Sanu being out there and probably making it easier for uh, Ryan to get over to Hooper given that Sanu isn't as good as Ridley. Yeah, there's I th- and I think the concern too is more that the this ceiling might not be there than it is that he'll be bad. It just yeah, you, you, there are probably better ceiling bets. And reading your article and just how you should play fantasy football, you know these quote unquote league winners. I know that term gets thrown out around a lot, but that's really what we're after. And you know, one of the questions I had as a result of you know, you looked at, I think the note you had, again, looking at what guys did the prior year and then they broke out the next year, sort of like broke those down into different buckets. But one of the thing you saw said was 35% of breakouts since 2006 come from players who don't have an elite season in their history. So that's really interesting to me. And I'm sort of wondering why, or if this is why historically tight ends that go in that sixth seventh round fifth sixth seventh round have been bad bets is that we perceive their floor to be better than the tight ends going later 
But as far as pure upside, they're clearly not proven to be an elite tight end yet because those are the guys that are going rounds two through four. And in terms of their chances of having a huge elite season, they might not, those chances might not actually differ that much from the tight ends going in round 10. Am I extrapolate taking that too far? Or do you think that's somewhat along the right path? And again, tight end premium versus not tight end premium is a big difference. You know, I've done some leagues for NFFC, for example, if you play in those leagues, you can get some of these guys that we really like, like a Jarwin type, who I want to talk about in a little bit. And I mean, you can give them like rounds 14 sometimes. Um, yeah. So a huge difference between tight end premium and non-tight end premium. One of the things that was really interesting is that you do see a fair amount of one-year wonders at the tight end position. And so these guys that have, they're coming off an elite season, but it's their first elite season. It's you, you generally want to proceed with caution a little bit. And I think that those guys, you know, that's Darren Waller, right? And that's in that exact range that you're talking about. Waller is someone that I've tried to mix in some exposure to, but was not willing to go uh, full in on. And in this article, I recommended targeting him at a discount because um, he does show some really strong signs. His target per route run was 24.2%, which is really good. His yards per target was 10, which is which is great. You know, he he saw less work down the stretch, but I don't think that was necessarily like deserved based on how strong of a season he had. And maybe it's something that they address that they did address in the offseason. Um, and I could see him with rookie wide receivers starting on the outside at both positions, him being pretty involved this year again. So he's someone that I do. I, and I did ultimately get some exposure to, but I think could be a pretty big bust at the same time. He's, he's one of the more volatile bets in the entire um, tight end pool. Ingram ended up as a fade for me. Uh, Higby is interesting because, uh, man, I mean, if you want to talk about ceiling, like Higby showed a huge ceiling. And Higby also was like a guy that in season last year, he had... Before his breakout, he had a huge target per route run. So he's quietly getting targeted like at, at an elite level when he gets a chance to run a route. Then Everett gets hurt and he gets a chance to run more routes and he explodes. So he, I think like I have a soft spot for Higby just because he kind of like proves the the theory that I have. You yeah. Know? <laughs> so I'm betting like when I'm betting on Mark Andrews, I'm betting on him to be the next Higby in the sense that now Hurst is gone and he gets a chance and he's not dealing with a foot injury anymore. He gets a chance to run a bunch more routes and he has this huge target per route run in 2019. So he could absolutely explode in 2020. Higby did that, you know, in that condensed frame. And I think it all comes down to how many routes they let him run. But if they're in 12 personnel a lot and he's, and he and Everett are running a route together, I think Higby will see a much higher uh, target per route run than, than ever because he has over the course uh, of the entire season last year. So that he's a guy that really jumps out to me. I own a lot of Higby. I think he's the dude in this range that I did take a lot of swings at. And then uh, after Higby, I generally was, was skipping the next few tight ends um, who are still kind of in that same tier, Hurst, uh, Hunter Henry, Gesicki, Cook and then waiting until Hawkinson, who jumps out as just a huge uh, potential breakout guy. He, you have to dig a little bit. You have to m- kind of move the numbers around a little bit because if you just look at things from a season long perspective, he didn't clear the thresholds that I was looking at. But he, he looked great 
when he played with Matthew Stafford. And then things kind of went to hell from a yards per target perspective when Stafford got hurt. But he actually was still targeted at a very high level without Stafford. So he was a big part of the offense. He was still earning targets uh, at a high level as a rookie tight end. I mean, he looked great from from a target per outrun perspective over the course of the season, but he had like a 3.4 yards per target with uh, – with non-Stafford quarterback. So so that was just abysmal. But, you know, I don't think that the team is going to be looking at his yards per target without Stafford and th- designing his 2020 role there. He was he was more than efficient enough uh, with Stafford to, uh, to basically make his case to the team that he should be involved more going forward. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you talked about that because I do think accounting for the quarterback is really important and did that a little bit in reference to Hooper, you know, losing Matt Ryan as an option, you know, we do have to take into account that some of the efficiency metrics, the quarterback has a lot to do with that. And, and two guys I want to talk about now that that certainly affects, but Blake Jarwin, you know, I am looking at him. He had a good catch rate, which is you know a little bit more stable than just yards per target. He had a good TD rate, which, you know, that's pretty fluky, but touchdowns per game is still a decent metric. Good targets per route run. In fact, in targets per route run last year, Jarwin was at 21.4%, which was um, 11th in out of 46 tight ends with at least 25 targets. You look at Jason Witten, he ran 28 routes per game, which was on the high side, which is kind of nuts for old man Jason Witten. If Jarwin is running those 28 routes per game, but has his targets per route run and his better efficiency, in an offense that could just go nuclear. I, I feel crazy because I think everyone on Dallas is going to pay off their price tag this year, but I'm really into him. And then someone I want to keep my eye on early in the year, though, is Will Disley for Seattle. Uh, I know they brought in Greg Olson. So um, we'll have to see. He's you know recovering from an Achilles injury, and he had a I just saw he was limited at practice Thursday, which is a downgrade, which wasn't great. So this is definitely a wait and see guy. But what was interesting for Disley in limited time last year, he only played six games, but in those six games, he had a 25% target per route run and was hugely efficient. Granted, you know, playing with Russell Wilson, you're probably going to be efficient. But that Yak A dot PCA metric that I mentioned, um, he rated really highly in that. Yeah. Um I'm glad you mentioned both these guys. Uh, Disley's a guy that I've kind of brought up with like Pete Overset and, and Davis Maddock. And they're like, come on, dude, will Disley seriously? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know, man. I mean, like he was targeted on a high percentage. The guy tore his patellar tendon and then he tore his Achilles. So I was blown away by how he came off of the patellar last year. And then now he's going to be coming back from an Achilles tear. Both of those are usually like, major injuries that really affect performance going forward. We'll have to see. I mean, hopefully he recovers well. But, yeah, I mean, he was a guy that really jumps out in these metrics. And and Olsen, really since he started to have injury um, issues like three years ago, has not been good at all in uh, target per outrun. And I don't think that um, he's really someone that makes sense to be drafting at all. And so, therefore, Disley is also a guy I'm going to be keeping on my radar early on. Um, Are you hearing Um, this marriage and go by? I am. (laughs) (laughs) uh, And then I'd like to get your thoughts on Dallas Goddard because 
I, one thing that I was really confused about prepping for the pod, I looked at this, the average depth of target for Goddard last year was 5.7, which is really low. And the average depth of target for Ertz was 8.6. Is that just a role thing or like, that, that just struck me as really odd. And I don't even know if it matters that much, but it, it did stick out to me. That is, that is odd. Um, and it's interesting because, Ertz was not efficient last year, um, but Goddard was was pretty solid. So yeah, his yak is very good. Yeah, so maybe they just view him as a guy that they want to get. I mean, rumbling downhill. I guess I don't. I don't know. I mean, Goddard definitely jumped out here as a target, um, and it was just sort of a reminder when I did this that these guys play together. So whether that's um, going to be in the exact same way in terms of how deep down the field they're being targeted this year i'm not sure but but yeah goddard's out there a lot even if Ertz is also out there a lot this is a, a two tight end team was last year i think it makes sense for us to expect them to be a, a two tight end team again this year even with the addition of rager um they don't have a ton of of talent at wide receiver and uh goddard was pretty damn good last year so i expect him to continue to have a, a pretty solid role. I do just want to say on Jarwin, I think he's another case study for us to keep an eye on for this whole methodology because Witten, you mentioned he ran a bunch of routes. Witten was targeted on just over 18% of his routes. That's not very good. Jarwin was targeted on 21.4%, as you said. That is good. So, you know, is he inheriting the Witten target share? Or is he going to earn more targets similar to how he was doing last year, earning earning targets at a high rate? Is that going to translate to the new role? Is you know is is his role going to be what he is as a player or what Witten had carved out? Because I'm I was sort of forcing myself to bet on Jarwin after looking at these numbers because it's so crowded there. It's really hard to get too excited about Jarwin's ceiling, but. You know, as you mentioned, there's some touchdown upside there, but even just saying from the yardage, from the catch perspective, if he's going to bring that 21.4% target per route run to a much bigger route run role, then he could easily pay off his ADP. So I'm pretty interested in him, um, you know, as a fantasy investment, but also I would say like he and Andrews are kind of the big case study guys for is this methodology something that we want to be, you know, putting more stock into going forward? Yeah. And one final thing, uh, you know, bringing it back to what we should be looking out for early in this season, you know, is it different for different guys? Like if I'm looking at Mike Jasicki, I want to see the targets per route run higher because I know he's got a high a dot. I know he runs a lot of routes already. If I'm, um, you know, someone, if I'm Andrews, I just want to see that he's running more routes because I, you know, I know the targets per route run sticky and that that's going to, if, if he comes out and runs a ton of routes week one, you know, I'm, I'm over the moon. I almost don't even care anything else that happens. So do you have any particular things you're looking at early in the year for guys? No, I think that's right. I mean, I think you want to be looking at uh, the guys, particularly like those, those two are great examples because they're sort of on the outlier of, of each end. Um, I guess what I'm going to be trying to keep an eye on is, guys who I want to try to find the next Tyler Higby. I want to see a guy who's quietly running not that many routes, but 
getting targeted on a really high percentage of those routes. Like if you look at the Texans tight end room, for example, I mean, last night you had uh, Aikens get uh, the touchdown there, but he was actually not targeted on a high percentage of his, of his routes. He ran a bunch of routes, 32 routes, only saw two targets. Um, Darren Fells ran 10 routes and saw two targets. So, you know, through one game, Fells, although I think Fells is in his like 30s, so I, I don't think he's proposed to break out. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's like that type of thing where if you see like a split tight end room and one guy's getting targeted on a really high percentage of his routes and then the other guy gets hurt or starts to trend way down in his routes run, then that player with the high targets per route run has a lot of upside um, in the bigger role. So that's going to be the the thing I'm sort of keeping my eye on to see if I can identify, you know, any potential breakouts before the rest of our league mates. All right. But I think we can leave it there. I do want to tease one thing. So the uh, episode that we did on dynasty last week was really, I really enjoyed getting into that. Some of the feedback I got um, with that episode and with my dynasty rankings that established your run, people are curious about the rookie pick valuations I think that would be a really good discussion on the podcast. So that's our plan for next week to talk about how to value rookie picks, because I do think that it can really vary. And it's something you want to you want to try to factor in the rookie class. And there's just a lot of stuff that we can dive into there. So look for that. That'll be fun. But yeah, if you uh, like the podcast, please rate us, rate and review us on iTunes and uh, check out all of our work at Establish the Run. And uh, for Mike Leone uh, on Twitter at Two Hats One Mike, I'm Pat Corain. Thanks for listening.